Welcome back to The Break Room. I am your host, Alexis Murray, and thank you for joining us for episode 15. As the year comes to a close, we start to look ahead and prepare for 2019. 2018 proved to be another dynamic and at times confusing year for healthcare. To help us recap 2018, I am joined by Privia's new CEO, Sean Morris. Sean brings an extensive background in healthcare. Prior to joining Privia, he held many positions at Cigna HealthSpring, most recently serving as the president, where he was responsible for the finances and operations of Cigna's Medicare Advantage division that generated $9 billion in annual revenue. Sean was an inaugural fellow of the National Healthcare Council, a graduate of Dartmouth College's Tuck Business School Global Executive Program, and he earned his Bachelor of Science in Accounting from Western Kentucky University. Let's head over to Sean. So Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you mind starting off by just telling us a bit about your background and your work in healthcare? All right. Thanks for having me. A yeah. uh, little bit about me. I'm a, an accountant by education, accountant, CPA by trade, four and a half, five years, 100 years ago in um, public accounting. Great base of um, understanding how businesses run. The great part of that is I, is I wrapped up that four and a half, five year run, the bulk of that practice was always with physicians. And it really kind of started the way um, my career into healthcare and really I kind of continued on that path. Um, worked with independent physicians my, my, most of my professional career in situations as running primary care groups that, that were taking full risk on commercial and, and that's where I learned, I kind of got into the Medicare population. The other one is developing and um, operating independent physician associations have probably built literally two or three hundred of those over the years. And, and that really is what kind of led me to my, the, the role I had in the company I worked with prior to, to Privia Health, which was working for my mentor of 20 years plus and working directly with independent physicians and building a Medicare Advantage plan with doctors that where we were really dependent upon finding groups of physicians and developing them in such a way that they we could succeed together. And after building a, helping build a company over a 14-year period from raising capital to going public to operating in a public environment on the New York Stock Exchange to actually eventually selling that company to Cigna and never dreamed I'd work at, for a company the size of Cigna with 40,000 employees in 30 countries, but um, and really didn't anticipate doing that for more than a, two or three years um, and ended up working there six years as a great company and, um, and I really positioned me to be the CEO of a, a company such a Privia. So the, um, I guess the long and short of that is an entire career built around building companies with physicians, primarily independent doctors. And I tell people um, that um, I wouldn't have it any other way. The uh, you know, when you're choosing a partner to go into a business, you want, you know, the two things I tend to say to people is you'd, you'd always choose smart partners and you would always choose, I would personally, very competitive partners. And that, I think that defines, you know, independent physicians in a, you know, I don't, I don't know one physician that didn't get through medical school being smart. And I, I don't know one physician that didn't get through medical school being super competitive. And that's the kind of business partner I like. So thank you for telling us kind of a bit about your background. And we want to really get into kind of a wrap up of 2018. So 2018 was definitely an eventful year. 
And in terms of mergers and acquisitions, a very eventful year. Mm -hmm. CVS just closed their deal to purchase Aetna for $69 billion. Mm -hmm. Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase have launched an unnamed venture that aims to reduce healthcare spending. So it seems like the traditional lines between major stakeholders in healthcare, um, those lines are being blurred and in a lot of ways are actually being removed. Mm-hmm. What do you think this says about the direction of healthcare today? The, um, I think healthcare's, the providers have been consolidating for years. Um, so if you think about hospitals and other entities within the healthcare ecosystem purchasing providers, uh, that's been going on for years. The Over the last three to four, and if you even go back further than that, if you think about a United Healthcare Group um, you know, building Optum for all those years, and people didn't think a whole lot about it, but they've uh, they've accumulated what you would, if you went out and read, over 50,000 physicians. Now, um, the the majority, more than the majority, 80% of those being contracted. So you, so you have what we would see payers and others getting into what we would call the care business. So, um, but the interesting thing is almost every one of those people that are consolidating are they're looking out and there's how can they better the patient experience and how do you make healthcare more affordable? So what's interesting is no one is looking at buying acute care facilities. And if you look at every one of those consolidations that are going on, the, the other one is if you looked at, what went through the consolidation phase about 24, 36 months ago was payers buying payers. So he took the, they were going to take the top four or five payers and consolidate them into three. United is obviously too large to buy anything from a payer perspective, but he had Humana, Aetna merging. You had Anthem and Cigna. Me, me being at Cigna, I was part of that other, and the Department of Justice stopped all that. So these are all very, very large organizations. Um, as consolidated, they'll all be in the fortune, I think, top 10, 15. And, and to, they're publicly traded. They need to grow. They desire to grow. But they also need to, what, what I'm excited about being at Privia is all those entities have one thing in common. They want to improve the patient experience. But I think we'd all agree that it's a pretty low bar. And um, at the same time, they need healthcare to be more affordable. So what are they doing? They're out looking for assets, the way they would term them, that, that can solve that for them. And I'm, you know, like I said, that I'm a, so excited to be a privy because I think there's a shortage of those type of assets, not that we're looking to immediately sell. Obviously, we have investors, and that one day they'll look to exit, but that is, that is not in their interest today. It's how do we build a great company that can deliver those two things, and I believe that can be done with, with independent physicians or working with a health system that can return doctors to the independent status. So you talked about independent providers being great assets in terms of reducing costs in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, among all this M&A activity, there's clearly no signs of physician co- consolidation slowing down. Right. So what do independent physicians need to know to feel, you know, comfortable, optimistic about their own future? What do they need to know mm-hmm. in 2019 to feel prepared for all of this consolidation happening around them? I think the the realization that it's going to continue. Um, I think hospitals, some systems will continue to purchase physicians. Um, I don't think that's going to stop. Others, um, just in the first, my first seven to eight months of being here, the most surprising thing, I, I and, and 
because I've talked to systems for years about is the purchase of physicians the right way to go for large healthcare systems? And we all know that's been the, that has been the norm for the last, call it, gosh, 10 or 15 years, and probably even before that in different cycles. But we've, um, the most interesting thing in that, you know, this first seven or eight months of being here is that the more, what I would term the more progressive systems are looking for a different model. Is there a way that they could work with an organization such as Privia to, in, versus ownership? What I tend to say when I say, I mean, you're looking for loyalty without ownership. Mm-hmm. You're looking for referrals to your facilities um, and have a relationship with the company and with physicians that, that don't want to wear the hospital badge. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is, Hospitals will continue to consolidate. Systems will continue to consolidate. But we're going to see, and we're beginning to see it across community lines. We're going to see reach the advocate system in Chicago reaching into Wisconsin and consolidating with the big Aurora. The, I think it was the Aurora system up there. You're seeing North Carolina atrium. I think that's the new, the new term for the big system in it was called Carolina Health System going into Georgia and consolidating regionally. So we're going to see a lot more of that. And it's going to, I think that's going to continue and it's going to continue for the next few years. There a few years because there's um, the, the, we're seeing utilization decrease. We're seeing inpatient acute care decrease, all which is very good as long as, you know, we're, we're improving the experience and improving the quality. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's, I think systems have to, so I guess what I'm saying, there's an attack on the acute model uh, and the bricks and mortar hospital model, and they're looking for partners. And so it, it, from a physician perspective, and I think we had seem team to, we seem to attract a physician that isn't looking for employment. They're looking for a partner that allows them to practice in a, in a way that re- remains or gives them some sense of independence, you know, owning their own schedule, making some decisions about who, who works in their office, what their office looks like, those type things, but then can bring the, the, the professional management talent to build technology, to, um, you know, really understand actuarial analysis and data science and all the big things that it's really tough to do and retain the earnings in a medical practice. And they're looking for a partner to do that. And, and it, it's just the world we're becoming in, in the healthcare ecosystem is it's, it's, you can be a group of one or two, and that's a really easy, a little easier decision. But what we're seeing is groups of 100, 150, 200, where they used to be large and somewhat in fate, you know, they're in control of their own fate with the, the consolidations of their systems around them, the health systems and the payers, they're, they're not large enough. And they're looking to looking for the, I guess, a little bit of strength in numbers, but more importantly, how do they enter the value-based world that's coming? Even though they, they probably are in it somewhat today, but and, and kind of a, a little bit of a strength in numbers, like I said, but also what are the, what are the technological advances they're going to need? What are the, you know, the, you know, the, the management, care management things they're going to need? And you know, they need a, a company that can help them get through that. So one thing the CVS Aetna deal highlights is CVS's desire to really expand their care delivery business. They obviously have Minute Clinics, mm-hmm. which provide some primary care right. services. And it, you know, data has shown that patients are increasingly seeking those primary care services outside of the primary care right. physician's office. Maybe they're going to an urgent care. Maybe mm-hmm. they're going to a Minute Clinic. 
The Healthcare Cost Institute found that office visits to PCPs declined by 18% from 2012 to 2016. So why do you think we're seeing this trend of patients choosing mm-hmm. to not go to their primary care yeah. physici- physician's office for like a flu shot mm-hmm. or a checkup? And what can our primary care physicians or any independent you know, PCP do to combat uh, this departure yeah. from their office. The um, if you kind of if you look at the population, you know, we can talk we can talk about population or health or just mm-hmm. the generations and and the way people think about them as consumers. Don't think about them as patients right now. Mm-hmm. So the baby boomer population is is a is a law. It's a it covers a co- covers a couple of generations in in its sense. And so the you have a the populations ahead of the baby boomers that are very. Um, uh, I would say they, they, it'd be like my mother. She's 86 years old. I take her to the physician and she just, she's on you know pins and needles listening to the doctor's advice, never questions the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good and bad sometimes. And then you have the next population. I fall into the baby boomers at the tail end is um, a little more technologically advanced. Um, I like to think I am. I'm not sure that I am. <laughs> my kids would say no, but um, the, um, they're, they're seeking... They're, you know, time is valuable to them. Some of them are still working. So they are a little more tech savvy. And then you get into the millennials, which my all my kids would be in the millennials except for the youngest one. And and it's interesting because they're they grew up in the world of Amazon. And it's it's and they grow up in high density areas and they're really looking, it's an experience and it's convenience. And I think as um as us in general previa health, as well as any any practicing physician out there, even if we they look we look at our physician schedule, they look at their schedule, they look like they're they're busy out, you know, two, three, four months. But what we don't realize is we're losing eighteen to twenty percent of our visits to urgent care, mm-hmm. to virtual care, and we need to we we need to stay on top of that. We need to build that. We need to you know, really bring that to attention of our physician because it's not really evident, but that gets back to patient experience. And mm-hmm. we need to, we need to continue to build those assets. We need to, because it, I'm a believer, if you lose that relationship, they're going to establish a relationship somewhere else. And eventually they may not come see as a primary care. And that may not, that maybe is not as important in your twenties and thirties when you're not, maybe you're, I guess we've got bad habits and we're developing chronic disease. But as we get older, we highly need that relationship with our with a physician that knows us and we trust them and we can take their advice. So I think we need to be really careful and we need to improve the experience. We need to, you know, people are looking for convenience mm-hmm. and people are looking to interact on their health care and be part of it versus, um, you know, it's, it's the, the, the lines are going to be different with, by generation. Yeah. And what would be interesting is what's the, what's my 20 year old going to look like? Cause he doesn't, he's totally different from my 31 year old, but, um, you know, growing up in the, in the world of, I want it and I want it now is not going to work in the next five years of healthcare. It's, um, and you know, we're, we're a little bit wired that way. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to wait to get my physical three and four months from now. The next generation's not going to be that way. And, and if I feel bad, I don't want to drive 40 minutes in traffic and I want to get access and maybe I'm even comfortable not being my doctor. I think, you know, if I were to talk to my children, they, they don't necessarily need to be a doctor. They would seek advice and my guess, you know, you know, whatever's available. And, and it's, unfortunately it's not, you know, in the 
ecosystem that's out there today. I'm not privy to health, but those records are not tied together. That that professional on the other end of that phone or other end of the um, you know voice for or video may not have access to the medical records, and that's not good care. Right. So um, now the, 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 I would say I mentioned my youngest. I think we'll continue. I think well, we really need to be partnering with. You know, what's the next machine learning? What's artificial intelligence going to look like? That's all new science. I do believe that will advance just really rapidly over the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And as much as we might not trust it today, we ask Alexa, hey, I got a headache and what's wrong with me? And who knows what she might say, but who knows what that's like in five to 10 years? I would say it's going to have really big advances and we need to be really watching that and we need to be making sure we're partnering with the right people. So you mentioned millennials having a different um, or, or wanting a different patient experience than maybe other patients that physicians are accustomed to working with. According to the Pew Research Center, baby boomers will actually be surpassed by millennials in 2019. So there'll be 73 million millennials versus the 72 million baby boomers. Mm-hmm. So what do you think independent physicians should really be investing in to engage this particular population? Okay. Yeah, we were talking about virtual health, and that is accurate. And I don't think most – it was a surprise to me the first time I read it, uh, you know, because we've been hearing so much about baby boomers and 10,000 seniors a day turning 65. And we all know that, you know, that's going to change the, the the mix of our physicians' panels. And um, we've got to be prepared for that, and, and we'll prepare for that, you know, kind of by market, by physician – looking at Medicare Advantage, you know, they should. But the question of, it was, like I said, it was surprising to me that millennials are going to outnumber baby boomers. And, and, and we were talking about just their idea of, you know, kind of, and I'm not trying to stereotype the whole population, but it's, you know, I want it and I want it now. They've, we've, you know, kind of grown up through this Amazon experience, and I believe it's real. Um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that it's when we're busy as a as a medical group and we look out and we don't have appointments, we're like, you know, all is good. Mm-hmm. And but we don't realize is that we're we have patients that may have signed up for us, but are can't get in for whatever reason, or the, or more importantly, they we don't have access to them, or we're maybe we're not we're not opening up enough slots to virtual visits, and that that's the way they would prefer depending on the urban environment which they live, or maybe that's just the way they want to access um, uh, care. I kind of refer back to my kids. There's no doubt my kids would much rather might want to text their physician or talk on their phone versus go in and do it. Um, So I think um, we've got to really pay attention to that. We've got to really build those capabilities, really look at, you know, what's the number of slots. And that's not the same per provider. It's some providers practice differently and the inertia of getting over that and getting good at that. It's just a different way of practicing and we have to kind of really stay on it and look at it. The, um, and it's for the whole, I, it, I just, I think if we don't, I think we run the risk of that patient going somewhere else, having a great experience and we lose them forever. Now the alternative could be we might attract, there's going to be, I think we're ahead of this curve a little bit. And I think we could attract patients that might not be satisfied in the healthcare environment they're in, and they come and experience what we're offering in one of our practices, and we could we could grow exponentially there too. So I think this cuts both ways, 
And I think we should be open to that. And it may not be for every physician as much as it would be for others, but we should be staying on top of it. And you mentioned virtual visits. Privy has invested in a lot of new patient services mm-hmm. like virtual visits. Mm-hmm. We have a virtual health program for patients in Virginia. Mm-hmm. What new technology do you see on the horizon that will continue to improve the consumer experience? The um, No doubt, I think we're just, we've got a couple of hundred physicians that are um, with, that are um, kind of signed up for virtual visits and it's growing. We have a, a goal that, you know, up to 700. Now, you know, we're at 2,000 physicians and we're growing and we, we think we could even grow by somewhere in the 25, 30% range next year. So we need to kind of keep, you know, kind of teeing that up and making sure it works in their practice and kind of working through that. The um, the next um, phase is, we, you know, we're kind of working on, a, we've got a few physicians that we, it's in a beta mode of virtual assistant, you know, more to come on that. Is it, is, does, would it, would, in the right environment with the right pair mix, does it make sense to get the physician out and from out behind the keyboard and really face to face? And what does that look like? What is the, like I said, the economics of having somebody in the background do some of that work that, you know, fortunately, I guess most physicians don't like banging on a keyboard in front of their docs. Would it improve the experience? What's the cost of that? What's the scale of that? Um, we're, we're doing it really small numbers today. I think we've had, we we beta it, we beta tested it with five docs. Four really liked it. Uh, we've talked to another fifty that are that are interested. So more to come. Um, you know that it's um, you know how do you scale that and is yeah. there real interest and what's the economics to a physician for doing so? And then you know, we we just have to continue to really how do we continue to improve our value based contracts for our providers and bring the capabilities necessary with them and for them where they they're successful and really grow each market each market is um, different each physician practice is different we've got to meet them where they are um, work with them to bring them across that performance continuum some will want to stop along the way and they'll be very successful doing so and some will want to go all the way across um, and I think that's going to vary by geography depending on payer mix, depending on patient base, all those things. And, but at the same time, it's going to, it's really going to depend on where that physician practices in, you know, kind of where they are in their career. So I think it's, like I said, meeting doctors where they are, bringing them the talent tools and technology to be successful and really earning their trust to, to kind of, you know, kind of be there when the market is ready and us leaning in and driving that market with them. So we talked a little bit about technology like artificial intelligence, virtual scribe, virtual visits, all of these different tools that can really help advance healthcare. But we see these tools being developed and there is um, a slower momentum in terms of adopting these tools. So what are the barriers for independent physicians to really um, invest in this kind of technology and make it meaningful for their practice? You know, I think some of it, a lot of these new tools um, were all creatures of habit the um, and what we're comfortable with. And we've talked a lot about looking at the schedule and it's full. So the inertia of change, people generally, you know, they're they just, you know, if something's working, they really don't want to change. Right. So the other piece of this is um, a lot of people have jumped into healthcare historically, gotten out, they're back in. Um, if you think about Google, they've been out, they came in, in, in real, you know, it was much more complex than they thought. They got out, they're back in. And, but I do think 
the organ these organizations getting into healthcare will make us better. But at the same time, I think the realization, the economics of healthcare are very different from consumer other consumer products. Um, people don't. There's not a good transparency of what quality is in healthcare. People perceive quality. There's not a good standard. Um, the funder, whoever is funding healthcare, meaning the, at the end of the day, the person writing the check, be that the federal government, state government, or a or a company, or a payer, they get to determine what quality is. And so it's 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 difficult to determine the you know what what quality is. And then the economics, as and I think it's what's going to drive some of this shift will be. As, and we're seeing it today in high deductible plans as the consumer of healthcare becomes more, is paying more of the bill. They're going to demand more transparency. They're going to demand a better experience. They're going to demand more convenience. And we're beginning to see that shift. Well, that, you know, how that, you know, how that plays out over the next two or three years, we need to be really on top of that. We need to be kind of leading in that environment. But it's um, today, the inertia of that movement, it's kind of, some people don't want to do it to it's here. We need to be kind of, at least be thinking about it, be planning for it and, and kind of move through that. Now that we've talked about where healthcare is headed, is there any particular direction, particularly in 2019, that we're really, really focused on mm-hmm. that will kind of guide us in the new year? The, um, I kind of, um, I, I, this is, this gets back to why, the reasons I came to Previa. Um, I, you know, ran, had a great job, had a very successful job. Um, maybe, I, you know, maybe I, I'm, um, I like to develop and I like to grow and I like to be where there's a lot of energy. But at the same time, in the working for a very successful insurance company that worked very closely with their physicians, really the last two to three years, I noticed there is there is not enough what I call sophisticated medical groups in our country to deliver that can really deliver on the promise of affordability and a better experience. Now, and we've got a long ways to go. But but I when I when I looked at Privia, we have a lot of the right foundation, a lot of the ingredients, and um, you know we're, we're we've surpassed two thousand physicians this year. That's our providers. It's a huge milestone. Um, you know, there's over 1,200 in the mid-Atlantic market. There's we'll exit Georgia with over 300, and if you look at Texas and break it down, think about you know 250 in South Texas and 250, 300 in North. And what's interesting is the pipeline is just full of, of physicians that are looking for a partner that can bring that you know not just a technology platform, but the the kind of the talent, the expertise, and really be listen to them and be a true partner and deliver operational excellence. That's number one we have to do. The, the, the way to grow a company is if we deliver operationally, um, the, the, our best advertising are our customers, which are our physicians, number one, we've got to do that. Number two, we need to continue to like, expand and really grow our value-based contracts. And a lot of the folks at Privia came out of insurance companies and have been through the cycle a couple of times. Cycle meaning the healthcare cycle, and and what what is a what is a a, a fair, legitimate, value based contract that's you know kind of good for the payer that wants to work for us, good for our physicians, and that allows our physicians to deliver great care 
at a, at a lower cost. And, and hopefully we can really take the patient experience to another, to another level. The third thing is we've got to grow as a company. Um, we've got fixed costs. We always need to grow. And when I say that is we need to grow the revenue of our providers, help them grow that. We need, that can be done multiple ways with new patients. We can, we can, and what I call in any business, when you're looking at it as an industry is how do you grow same store growth? So new patients, new providers where they, they're out of capacity, those type things. And then I would say new territory and new verticals. So we need to move into different States, spread our fixed cost. We also need to we, we've developed verticals in what in the OBGYN, and I think we need to deliver for pediatrics. So those are two what I call verticals outside our normal core business we need to deliver. And then by doing so, we've got to continue to develop capabilities into the chronic care population. Um, chronic care drives the bulk of our cost in the healthcare, either at the end of life or towards the end of life. And where you know you hear statistics like five percent of the population drives fifty percent of the cost. It's 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 actuarially true. How do we develop and become the best medical group in the country at treating diabetes? How do we how do we get better if we're going to be a real part a real um, medical group that drives great outcomes in Medicare and Medicare Advantage? How do we treat end of life? And end of life is a is something that we can we can really do well. We just have to put our mind to it. And then then how do we just you know how do we deliver on chronic care? How do we have the building blocks to that? So it's building the capabilities to do those things. So you are communicating with doctors regularly, hearing their pain points and concerns. If you were speaking to any physician right now who um, wants to prepare for the new year, what would be the top piece of advice that you would give them? What should they invest in? What should mm-hmm. they focus on? The um, we, we talked a little bit through the the interview, but if I'm a physician, either, you know, onesie, twosie, through small group to group of a hundred, there's things I, first and foremost, I want a partner I can trust. Um, and they've got some decisions. They can go it alone. They can continue the path their own. If they're, a, you know, a group, which is, which is, a, it's a, which is fine. If that's the path you take, it's, it's, um, healthcare is consolidating. And we, we've spoken a lot about that. I think, um, Groups and physicians are looking for partners. So first and foremost, is it a partner that you relate to? Can you trust them? Is it a partner that has your interest in, in, in mind? So, you know, if you start making decisions, do we want to want to go the independent route? Is there a partner that allows me to be independent? Do I want to, you know, is there, do I want to work with a health system? Do I want to go a different direction? We tend to, the advice I give, we, we tend to, self-select and together mutually uh, practices and physicians that really desire for that have that independence and autonomy we uh, you know with allowing them as we've talked about to to kind of own their own schedule still own their the folk you know the people that they really work day to day with and kind of make some decisions about that and the things we provide and bring are you know that the, the larger technology platform single instance that we can really be, drive value as value in their market is demanded by the payers. How do you, and then how do we begin then to layer payer contracts on that makes sense? Um, and it, and the, the world that payers are asking for affordability and patient experience. So how do we, what is a good contract? What is a, do you, do you, do you have the expertise to determine that? And then there's, there's some just, as we grow, it's, um, 
it's it's kind of the there's a strength in numbers, not from a leverage perspective, but for things like best practice. If we're you know when you when you have five and six and seven locations, um, different parts of the country go through different parts of the learning curve at, at various times. So we have groups in Texas that are great at Medicare Advantage, and we have groups in Georgia that are doing some other things. Just that that knowledge transfer and the ability to move around and see that is, is has a lot of value and then just the the, the you know the, the ability to the future world is um it's about data and it's about how do we bring the the data that matters to the point of care and where physicians and the caregivers can you know make those decisions and unfortunately today it's making decisions that you know our payers are i guess contractually obligating us to but it's you know, how do we understand that? How do we negotiate our contracts? What are we good at? And then what are we, what should we get better at? And, and deliver those things for the providers. So that's the questions I think they would be, should be asking and, and actually demanding us to help them figure out. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you to Sean for joining us to wrap up the year. The Privia team wishes you and your family a happy and safe holiday season. And we look forward to coming back in 2019. If you have any questions or want to learn more about how we're putting independent physicians back in the driver's seat of healthcare, please check us out at PrivyaHealth.com.